We have been talking about relationship. And particularly, we've been talking about our own relationships in this context that, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that divine uh, trinity, that triune Godhead, is both the method and the model for our own relationships, especially for the relationship of marriage, that we, that we pattern our relationships. And again, I've, I've, I've tried to say this, uh, not just marriage, but, but boss and employee, student teacher, uh, brother, sister, all relationships. Richard Rohr says, in the beginning was the relationship. And that relationship is the source, the, the, the nucleus uh, for all other relationships. And so when we look at the characteristics and the, and the, uh, uh, the nature of the, that divine Godhead, that triune Godhead, that's where we should look to find out what kind of relationships we want to be in. The relationship began with the character of God, with the character of God. And the primary character of God we talked about last week The primary character of God is vulnerability. Almost uh, almost counterintuitive. It it almost seems to to go against the grain of what we would normally think. That this almighty, omnipotent, all-powerful God is vulnerable. But he chooses to make himself vulnerable to demonstrate to us the nature of relationship. God the Father, uh, surrendering him, His Son, making Himself vulnerable. Uh, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The Son, surrendering His power to the Holy Spirit. It's expedient for you that I go away so that the Holy Spirit can come. The, 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 the relationship, making themselves vulnerable to one another. And that, it seems to me, is the primary characteristic of the kind of relationships that God calls us to. Again, primarily the marriage relationship. That when, when, when you look at a, at, a, at a marriage relationship and say, okay, is it working or not? Is it, is it good or not? Is it what it's supposed to be or not? The characteristic that you would look for is vulnerability. Are they vulnerable? Do they make themselves, do they choose to be vulnerable to one another? And last week we said that the that the three um, the three primary ways that that is demonstrated is in honest emotional feedback. Remember, truly saying, "This is what I feel. This is what I think. This is what's going on." Eye to eye contact, not lording it over, not avoiding, not turning away, and in in a lifestyle of forgiveness, being invited to the table by the Holy Spirit. And say, I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive over and over and over again. That, that's the, those are, the, are the, the ways that vulnerability is exemplified. And so in your relationships, the relationships that are meaningful enough to you that you want them to be patterned after the triune Godhead, then I would, so I would ask, <clears throat> is there honest emotional feedback? Do we, do we truly talk about how we feel? Is there eye-to-eye contact? Do we really engage with one another instead of avoiding? 
and is, do we live in a lifestyle of, of forgiveness? So that's kind of, that's where we are. That's where we have been. And, and that kind of gets us a running start for tonight. So here's, here's what I said we would talk about at the very beginning. We would talk about the, the character of relationship. And then we would talk about vulnerability in relationship. Next week, we'll end by talking about intimacy in relationship, what it really means to be genuinely, truly intimate in a relationship. But tonight, about the structure of the relationship. Now, let me, let me make a confession to you that uh, when I was pastoring, I used to, sometimes when I was preaching, I would say, well, I said all that to say this. And then people started saying, how about don't say all that and just say this? You know, you save us a lot of time. We'd like it a lot better if we took a vote and got out 15 minutes early. So how about don't say that and just say this? Well, let me confess that I said all that to say this. This is, and and, and I'm a little bit nervous, but this is, in my mind, maybe one of the most important concepts and, and either the least talked about or the most misunderstood when it is talked about. But the structure of the relationship. What is the structure of the relationship that God calls us to? My father pastored uh, tiny little churches. Uh, all, we, we moved quite a bit. We moved about every two years. Uh, and, uh, and we, I, I, I don't know if I've ever said this to you. Doris has heard me say it lots of times. I went to um, 18 schools in 12 years. I went to 18 different schools. Uh, the way my father got into the ministry, I was in, uh, almost in high school before he actually got into the ministry. And the way he got into it was... Um, uh, involved a lot of different moves. Before that, he worked for the railroad and he had a job where about every six months he would move. Back in those days, you just moved. You didn't think about, about you know, leaving your family. You just moved. And so, so we moved. I went to the first grade and the 12th grade were the only two years I finished, this, I finished school, the same school that I started. I moved at least once in the middle of the year and sometimes moved, several times moved two, two or three times in, in the course of the year. Um, and I have no idea why I said that, but that's really all I have to talk about, so thank you all. For, uh, but uh, my father was pastoring in Rock Hill, South Carolina. He was on his way into pastoring. We were still relatively young. He was pastoring in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And we lived right next door to the, to the church. The parsonage was right next door to the church. That's a... That's an awful... I'm so glad we've gotten away from that. That's an awful thing to do. You know, I can't tell you how many times we would get phone calls at 11 o'clock at night. Pastor, I think I left my purse in the church. Would you mind... Would you get Michael to go over there and check and see? I don't care how brave you think you are. At 11 o'clock at night, the church is scary. It is dark and scary. You go over there and... So I just... Whatever. I'd find their purse. I'd open up the change, take all the change out. I figure I got something coming to me for doing this. So <laughs> they eventually learned not to do that. They just, I just told them. We live right next door to the church. Now, this church had, uh, it was heated by little space heaters. And this little, 
you know, it was, it was in Rock Hill, South Carolina, not terribly cold, not real warm. So we just had these little, had about, about six little space heaters down each side, little gas space heaters. And on Sunday morning, it was my job to get up and go over and light those little space heaters. Man, it'd be cold and I'd have my little box of matches. I'd be, it'd take 342 matches to light those 12 little space heaters. And I'd, I'd light all those space heaters, trying to let the church warm up a little bit before Sunday morning began. But I, I, I didn't mind doing it because of what happened next. I, I would get all, it would just start to get warm a little bit. And my three sisters would come over and we would play church. And we got, to, we got to do church on Sunday morning. We just, we had a blast. We would just, my, my oldest sister, the one, the three girls were stair-stepped under me. Charlotta, she could play the piano. She's about, she's about 10. And she could play the piano a little bit. So she'd play the piano. And Shonda, my, my sister who's now a stand-up comedian, uh, she would lead the singing uh, because she had a loud voice. She just was loud. Uh, the baby sister, Sherilyn, she'd get to take up the offering. Uh, we, nobody, none of us put anything in except her, but she was the baby. She didn't know any difference, so we'd collect the offering, divide it between the three of us, and, and uh, we, learned, we learned the fine art of evangelism early on. We learned how to do all that. Uh, and and we, would, we would take hymn books. This is back, to Pastor Wayne, in the day of hymn books. We would take the hymn books... And we would, we would line them up, set them on the pews, and that would be our little congregation. And, and we'd have this little congregation, and then I would get to preach. Man, I'd preach those hymn books to heaven and back again, and then I'd, I'd preach them to hell, back again. And, and then, we would, then we would give an altar call. And we'd go down, we'd drag about four of those hymn books to the altar, We'd make them confess. They confessed awful things. This hymn, this hymn book. They'd confess awful things. We just they'd they'd get saved every week. We were a Nazarene church, so we're used to getting saved every week. So they get they get saved every week, and then about two of them would get filled with the Holy Ghost, and we would put a little Kleenex inside the hymn book, and that was their hanky, and they would run up and down the aisles. Those hymn books would run up and down, waving their little hanky, you know, and it just, we just had a blast. We had a blast, and then one Sunday, we decided to baptize them, and my dad got mad, and that ended the whole thing when we, when we baptized the hymn books. Even in that day, even in that place, there was some kind of structure there was some kind of order. There was kind of a, you do this and you do this and you be in charge. There were, even there, in, in that little example of the family of God, we understood that there's structure in this, in this divine Godhead. That, that, that there's, there's structure. Uh, let, me, let me tell you three places where that shows up for me. Uh, in creation. God says, let there be, and there is. God says, let there be, and there is. And all the way through the six days of creation, God seems to have a plan. He creates the light and the dark before he creates the plants to grow. He creates the sea before he creates the fish. There's there's structure and order to the way God works. It seems to me that God is a God of order, that he's a God of, of structure. Here's another place where that shows up for me. In, uh, in the law, 
God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. This is the law. There, there, there are lots of ways that you could live. But I say, if you live this way, you, you'll be better off. There's, there's structure. There's, there's order. There's a way that we are. And the Ten Commandments are not just about do this and don't do this. But they're about an order to things and the way, and the way things should operate. Does that make sense? So, so God is a God of structure. And then the last place, or, or another place, not the last place, but is in relationships. As God designs relationships, it seems to me that he designs those relationships with, with structure, with, with order. This, this is the way things are supposed to be. Is that... And kind of the point is supposed to be here that God is a God of order, that he's a God of structure, that he's a God of relationship. Uh, l- let, me, let me give you a couple of, of scriptures, a few scriptures that kind of uh, reminds us of the order of things. In John chapter 17, verses 1 and 2, I appreciate Jamie. He does such a great job of putting this in and then trying to follow me. Where in the world is he? I know he's somewhere on here. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying this great high priestly prayer. You know, that they've had the upper room experience and Jesus is is headed for the cross. But he prays before he does that, before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays this great high priestly prayer. And it begins this way. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people. There's a, there's a structure. They are vulnerable to one another. They are co-equal. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We, we learn from the very first as we begin to quote, uh, quote the, the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed. Of one of the same essence, of the same nature. They're the same. But there's a, there's a structure. There's an order. Uh, and I don't mean this flippantly but Jesus is not better than God the spirit is not better than Jesus they are the same they are the, but there still is an order a structure uh, Hebrews chapter 1 in Hebrews chapter 1 uh, the writer of Hebrews says in these last days God has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe Again, they're the same, they're equal, they're the same nature and the same essence, but there's an order. God the Father appointed God the Son and said, through you, I will make all things. And then the last one is in, uh, in John chapter 15 and verse 26. When the advocate, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, whom I will send, we're the same, we're equal, we're all, but I'm going to send him. I, I have apparently, there's some hierarchy here. I'll send him, I'll send him to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father. He will testify about me. So, do you understand the point here? The point is that, that while they are equal, while they are the same, one of the things we learn about relationship from them is that there is an order. There is a structure. Okay, all right, you glad you came? Isn't this, man, I feel so much better now. Thank you for telling me that. So, man, I'm gonna go home and do better. All right, thank you. Here's one of the places where that applies. 
And it's so important to understand the nature of the triune Godhead and the way it, it, uh, it informs our relationship. It's so important to understand that or we really mess this up. God says, I have a structure in mind for the family. I have an idea and this is what the family is supposed to look like. The husband has this role. And the wife has this role. And the children have this role. They are co-equal. They are made of the same stuff. One is not better than the other. But there is an order. There is a structure. And when we live according to that order, it seems that we do better. It seems that things work out. Is that... Now, you, know, you kind of know where we're headed now. Oh, brother, some of the women are saying, I knew he'd get to this sooner or later. Dad, come it. Get your coat, Bill. We're out of here. We're not listening to that. Doris said to me tonight, she said, get your coat. I said, am I cold or are we going somewhere? I don't, I don't just, you know. I'm just used to her telling me what to do. Get your coat. Okay. Um, let's talk about the structure, the, the order of things. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23... Here's what we read. Wives, submit to your own husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. So also wives should submit to their husband in everything. Man, you missed a great place to jump up and say, Amen, hallelujah. That's that's what I've been preaching all along. That's been preaching. just, Just hang in here with me, ladies. Hang in here with me, but... I believe that God says this is a structure that works. And when we miss that in either way, and we're going to talk about the ways that we miss that, but when we miss that in either way, the family is less than it should be. There is something about the order of the family that I have designed, and this is a healthier way of doing things. Now, again, I know, and I've tried each week to to make this broad enough that it doesn't just apply to marriages. I will confess that tonight we're going to talk a lot about marriage. It's just going to kindly mainly be there, but you can make application wherever you are. But but just for tonight, and and the whole point of this whole conversation, in my mind, about about drawing our identity for relationship from the triune Godhead is to be able to look at this particular issue in a in a in a healthy way, in the right way. So, God says, wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. I have an order. I have a plan. I have, I have a way that things should play out. And when we do this, we are healthier than when we don't do that. Now, the, 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 the problem with that is that Doris didn't want to do that. I just, I've been waiting all week to say that. Doris just doesn't want to do that. So I'm going to call the elders of the church together. We're going to pray for her. And that's okay. I don't want to do it. I don't want to, I don't want. And, and, and yet there is something about learning to be vulnerable. See, this only comes after we've talked about vulnerability. That when I am truly seeking to submit myself to God, to be vulnerable to God, And then to be vulnerable to her, there is no threat 
or no fear or no anxiousness for her. If you got two people in a relationship that are trying to outsubmit each other, then there's no better than or one-upmanship or lording over. It's, it's easy to submit when we are living in this nature of vulnerability, when we are seeking to be vulnerable. So here's the first principle that I, that I wrote. The measure of our ability to submit to one another is in direct proportion to the level of our surrender to God. I, 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 I do not expect or imagine that my wife can submit to me if she is not first submitted to God. I also do not expect or imagine that she would be submitted to me if she doesn't see me submitted to God. So the level and proportion of our, of our submission to one another is directly connected to the level of our surrender to God. And again, there's, a, there's an order. Don't talk about submission before you talk about the character of the relationship and vulnerability in the relationship. Because, because it gets way out of hand. And part of the reason... Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. All right. Uh, Ephesians 5.21. Ephesians 5.21. Paul begins this whole discussion by saying, first of all, submit to one another. Okay, wives, submit to your husbands. Oh, wait a minute. Before we do that, submit to one another. You know, you make sure you're doing that. And then we can talk about this wives, submit to your husband thing. Doris is uh, drier. Well, my, it's my dryer, too. Uh, in fact, one of the things that, that Doris and I have decided on, we, we are not the perfect example of marriage, but I will tell you that there are some things that you all could learn from us about our, our marriage. We decided very early on that I would run, I would run our household. I run everything in our house. Doris decided that. Said, Sweetheart, you run everything in our house. So I run the vacuum cleaner, I run the dishwasher, I run the washing machine, I just, I run everything in our house. Doris's dryer um, it quit working. And so I got on YouTube, and, and you know, YouTube is just amazing. I got on YouTube, and I YouTubed that dryer, and all of a sudden it stops, and what's the problem? A great YouTube video. And the guy came up and said, here's the problem. When this particular dryer stops, this is always the problem. It's a, it's, a, it's a heat sensor in the back. And here's what you do. First, you take out about 20 screws. You take the back off. And then you take out another bunch of screws. And you take the top off. And then you put... So, I'm, so I would say, first you take out these 20 screws. So I'd stop the video. And then I'd take out all those 20 screws. And then I'd turn it back on again. Then you take all these and you take the top off. So I'd stop the video. And I'd do all that. And then you unloosen this panel in the back. So I stopped it and did that. And then I turned the video back on. It says... But before you do that, check the switch on the door. It's probably that, and that's a real easy thing to fix. I got the whole dryer on pieces, and then and it said, oh, but before you do that. So Paul says, wives, submit to your husband. But before you do that, submit to one another. You, you live in the context of vulnerability. You live in the context of making yourself a servant to one another. And there's no danger or threat in, in, in saying, wives, submit to your husband. So here's, here's the second principle. An uncompromising love paves the way 
for a relationship that is free from emotional baggage and, and woundedness. An uncompromising love. So if, if my wife sees in me that I am totally submitted to God, totally submitted to her, making myself vulnerable to her, she is not threatened at all to make herself vulnerable to me, to submit to me. And when we do that, then it paves the way for our relationship to be free from the hurt and the woundedness and all of the things of the, uh, of the past that we have dealt with. Does that, does that make sense? Uh, okay, I always do a little, a little skit kind of thing, and, and I don't know if, this, if it helps or not, but it, it, I'm going to do it anyway. So I need, I need three volunteers to come up real quick. Y'all are saying, oh, brother, here we go again. Three volunteers, real, real fast, just to, just to come up. Three people that haven't had a chance to volunteer. You've been said, I, I hope he asked for volunteers tonight. Oh, Kenneth, great. Come on, Kenneth. We're gonna. Some, I need two more volunteers. Two more. Come on. I'm gonna. Sharon, you haven't volunteered yet. Come on. This is Sharon's chance to volunteer. One more volunteer. I need I, Pastor Gary. I do need you. I need you. You would be perfect for this. Have you volunteered? Well, see, you didn't volunteer tonight. You got drafted. Oh, I've volunteered you twice. Uh, we're gonna start with Sharon. Sharon, would you just sit right here on the on the edge of the platform? We're gonna start with Sharon. Sharon is all of us. Sharon is what, uh, lots of people have said this, but a a woman by the name of of, uh, Virginia Satir has done a great job with this. Sharon is the original feeling child. That when we are born, we are born uh, free from baggage and woundedness and hurts and all those things. And, 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 And we are just expecting the life to come our way. And, it, and it's just good. And, and so we are born the original feeling child. We don't, you don't have to say to, I don't have to say to Jackson, my five-year-old grandson, I don't have to say, Jackson, now be sure and talk about your feelings. Now tell, tell about what things going on. Oh, Jackson just, he's going 90 miles an hour. He, that, we just do that. We feel and, and we don't try to hide that. And and, and, and it's just, we, we're original feeling child. It's one of the reasons, this is a complete ADD moment, complete side note, but it's one of the reason, reasons why divorce is so difficult for children that are under the ages of three. You think, well, I mean, why would it be difficult for the children? Under the, because they have no filter. They can't make anything up about that except Man, one day we were a family and the next day we weren't. You know, when you get a little bit older, you can make up stories about that. Daddy went off to, you know, whatever. But 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 they're the original feeling child. It just, whatever happened, the the original. And and that's the way God made us to be. And we're supposed to be that way. The problem is that stuff happens. Stuff happens. and, And the original feeling child gets hurt and gets wounded. And so then we're going to bring Kenneth in here. So Kenneth, would you come in? And, and instead of stand, uh, setting, would you just kind of stand right there by Sharon? And Kenneth becomes the wounded protecting child. So, so Sharon has been, she's the original feeling child, but now she's been wounded. And so Kenneth comes in and says, hey, we, you know, that, that 
hurt. That, that's not good. And so he actually begins to move from here. And he comes out here and he stands in front of the original feeling child. And I, and I can't get to the original feeling child anymore because the wounded protective child is there standing in the way. And very often he or she is, is closed off and shy and retiring and, and, and shamed and, 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 and just and, and doesn't, doesn't connect. Um, now the problem is that, we, that we have, the world forces us to connect. We have to find ways to cope. We have, and so in comes the aggressive protective child. Uh, then Pastor Gary looked like a child... He, oh, he's standing. Isn't he standing right? You ain't getting past me. He's standing. Virginia Satir does this with, with uh, stuffed bears. And she has a little stuffed bear and a little stuffed bear. And for this one, she used a great big gorilla. Sorry, Pastor Gary, but it's Pastor Gary. Just imagine a great big gorilla when you look at Pastor Gary. But the, the aggressive. And this is the. And so this child stands between those and says. I'm going to find ways to cope. And so they cope with, uh, maybe, maybe it is aggressive behavior. Maybe they become bullies. Maybe they do things. Or maybe they become uh, addicts or alcoholics. Or, or maybe they become workaholics. Or maybe they do become kind of reserved and shy and retiring. But, they, but they're very intentional about that. But this aggressive, protective child just stands and says, you are not getting past me. The problem is... the the. Who, who God desperately wants us to be and where we live the best is all the way back here. This original feeling that Sharon leaned out so y'all can see I'm still back here. Do you, do you see that? Does that make sense? Now, here, one more problem. What, so what happens if Pastor Gary turns around? He turns around to try to see himself, to, to try to remember who he is. And he just sees Kenneth. And he says, I, I look like that. You know, that's that. Yeah. I'm going to turn back around again. I, 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 yeah. Yeah, and so we, we lose touch with who we are. And we come together as husband and wife. And we're desperately trying to connect. And we've got so many layers to get through. That wh- who I really, who I, I, I fell in love with Doris because I saw flashes of the original feeling child. But but we both were got good at hiding that and hide, and then, and then, and we when we forget does that does that make sense? So what we do when we reach this place of vulnerability, when we reach this place of beginning to trust one another and really beginning to submit, then all of a sudden the the uh, thank you Pastor Gary you can go sit down the the aggressive protective child lets down his guard and steps aside. And then maybe you spend a little time with this protective hurting child. And Doris begins to say, man, this is, man, this, when I was little, this happened to me. And, and, and that begins to come out and you begin to deal with that. By the way, uh, here's, I'll give you a little trade secret. The, all that counseling is, counseling is no big mystery. It's just trying to wade through these things and get back to the original feeling child. And so this, this protect, and finally she, (laughs) she has poured her heart out and she's emptied that pool of pain and every once in a while if we're really lucky thank you Ken if you can say that every once in a while we get back and we see glimpses of the original <laughs> she blooms and blossoms and then we say oh we need the protective child to come back up here again thank you Sharon thanks for that 
Does that, does that make sense? And, and we're trying to get past that to genuinely be in the kind of relationship that God calls us to be, but all the hurts and all the wounds make that difficult. And so it is only uncompromising love for one another that begins to remove some of those things. Uh, So it looks like this. For every woman, there is a God-given need to love and be loved. For every woman, there's a God-given need to love and be loved. And for men, it looks very much the same, except it just has a different face on it. For every man, respect is the face of love and the language that they most desire. If we could get past the aggressive protective child and get past the wounded uh, the wounded protective child, if, to the original feeling child, we would hear that child say, as a woman, I just want to be loved. And as a man, we would hear that child say, I just want to be respected. I just, I, 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 that's all I ever wanted was to be loved and to be respected. And God says, I'm going to give you a structure where that works. Is this? So here's the structure. Wives, submit to your husband. Put yourself in a place where you can be loved. Now, again, I don't do this right all the time, I confess. But since Doris and I started dating, I open the car door for her. Every time we get in the car, I open the car door. And after 40 years, Doris still says, what, you want me to drive? <laughs> I've been opening the car door for, come on, I mean, open the car door. God says, put yourself in a place this is, there's nothing threatening about this. There's nothing dangerous about this. This is what your original feelings... So put yourself in a place where you can be treated like a princess. John Eldridge says in his book, uh, Wild at Heart, he says that every woman has within her that princess that wants to be rescued. And, and, and if I can be rescued by the right person, the reason that we have become the aggressive, protective child and not letting that out is because we have so abused that and abusive men have so ruined that thing that we forget that. But when we strip that stuff away and get back to the original feeling child, I submit that, that in the heart of every woman is this desperate desire to be loved and the heart of every man is this desperate need to be respected. And so God says... I'm going to give you a place where you can be honored, where you can be respected. So you remember what he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and 28. He says, uh, wives, submit yourself. Some translations say, honor your husband. Then he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Then he says in verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. It, listen, this is not about somebody being the boss or, or some male chauvinist hierarchy. This is about God saying, I know how I created you. I created you for an order, for a structure that works. And when you do this the right way, there is a need in that original feeling child. Ladies, there is a need to be loved That's only met in the right order, in the right structure. And men, there's a need to be respected that's only met when the order, when the structure is done the the right way. Does that, is that, 
make sense? This is a, uh, I, I, I confess, this is a concept that has, that I have really been excited about for the last couple of months. When Pastor Eddie asked me to do this and I started thinking through all this and then started thinking through this whole idea of training, I got, I got really excited about this very thought, about this thing. Because as a counselor, I spend most of my time dealing with couples who misunderstand this whole thing. And they will say, uh, they, the husband will say, I'm the head of my home, I'm the boss, and she's not listening to me, and she's not paying. And I'm saying, buddy, you have no idea what it means to be the head of the home. You just don't get it. Or she will say, I've been pushed around long enough. I'm not taking that anymore. And I'm going to, and, and, and I say, sweetheart, you do not know what, what inside of you, how that could be, how you could rejoice if you could finally be in that place where the needs of the original feeling child were, be, were being met. So anyway, I got carried away with all that. Sorry about that. Um, there's a, one of my favorite uh, writers in this area of marriage is uh, uh, Emerson Egridge. And Emerson Egridge does a, uh, wrote a book called Love and Respect. And some of you may have read that book. But he is absolutely the best when it comes to understanding these needs. He doesn't say it in this way, but these basic needs of men and women. He says that, uh, that, that men are created to be respected. Women are created to be loved. Two faces of the same coin, but they, but they look different. And because we misunderstand that, we very often just don't understand the needs of, e- of each other. Uh, so Doris gives me a, a Valentine's Day card. And it's, it's sweet and mushy and, and it's got stuff underlined. And, and, I, and I appreciate that. I do appreciate that. It doesn't float my boat you know, it's not like the, you know, the most amazing thing in the whole world. In fact, I, for, what do we men do? First thing, I look over the back. Really? $3.75 for this card? In fact, we've just got, I said, baby, just take me to the drugstore with you. Pick out the card you like, hand it to me. I'll read it and put it back. And then, you know, let's just, let's, really? $3.75? Here's what she does. She writes me a note. In fact, I have one on my bulletin board in my office at home. She writes me a note that says, I just want you to know how much I respect you. Man, something wells up in me. And I say, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, she respects me. That's right. Just, yes, yeah, yeah. On the other hand, I say to Doris, man, you're great at folding clothes. Come on. I'm going to get you a better, here's what I'm going to do, sweetheart. I'm going to get you a better iron. I'm, I'm going I'm to, for, for Valentine's Day, I'm going to get you a new, a steam iron. You're going to, it's going to be, you're going to like that. She appreciates that. She's very kind. It just doesn't do much for her. But I go pay $3.75 and get one of those cards and underline it and say, can I tell you how beautiful you are to me? How much I love you? And she just says, yeah. I, I've probably told you this story, but we have a little a little game that we played. We have a little dressing room in our we have a we have a, a walk in closet, a pretty good sized walk in closet in our in our bedroom. I have no clothes in, not one stitch of clothes in that walk in closet. It is filled to the max with Doris's clothes. My clothes 
are in a closet in another bedroom at the end of the hallway. That's where my clothes are. Just walking on. And then right there, there's a little dressing room. And Doris goes in there and, and, she get, and then she comes out for church or comes out for, to go out. And when she walks out, I go, she comes walking. I say, you know, and she says, but I know deep down inside, she says, I still got it. <laughs> I still, I, I'm still a head turner. I still got it. God makes us women to be loved and men to be respected. And Paul says, and God says, the best way to do this is when our structure is right. When we're in the right place. Not a matter of better than or lording it over. We are co-equals. No better than. But, but my desire, her need and my desire is to love her. And so what better way to do that than to say, baby, I'm, I'm, you, you get behind me. I'm, they'd have to go through me to get to you. We've, we've taken a few cruises. You ever, you've been on a cruise and before it starts out, they have everybody go outside. They give you the little safety talk. Here's the safety talk. And here's where the, where the uh, lifeboats are. And here's the vest and all that stuff. And now, if anything happens, well, they say, women and children get in the boat first. Men, you let them get in first. And we men step back and say, yeah. We die. We die. Yeah, that's right. We die. I say, sweetheart, I, what I want, just submit yourself and let me take care of you. God says, I'm, man, I made you for that. And on the other hand, Doris says, let me, let me respect you. Let me honor you. Let me, and I say, oh, yeah, God made me for that. It's not, it's not about power or hierarchy or better than it's about the order the structure of the relationship and when we get that right it's the way God made us to be so how do we do that real quick just three things for men and three things for women here's what I believe men we are called to servant leadership We are called to servant leadership. I am the head of my home. And the way I do that is by trying to outserve anybody else in the home. To try I and I know you guys have done this too. I'm not I'm not the I have driven the the nastiest car for as long as we've been married. If we've had two cars, I drive the old junker and Doris drives a better car. I bought her a few years ago. I thought it was a good idea, a purple minivan. You know, we got grandkids coming along, so we got a purple minivan. And so, and it, it was far better than the old beater I was driving. So Doris gets a, I didn't think this thing through. Back in, back in December, we bought Doris a new car. Guess what I inherited? I'm driving a purple minivan. I, can you believe that? Every place I go, I'm driving a purple minivan. I picked up one of the, the sons, teenage sons of one of our counselors from the airport uh, Monday. He flew in. I went to the airport and picked him up. I said, Walker, see this car? It's a chick magnet. Chicks love purple minivans. They just... <laughs> Servant leadership. So, how do I do that? Submit to God. 
I submit myself to God. I lead my home. I, I have one, one place I want to be better than Doris. I want to try to out-submit her to God. Submit myself to God. Devoted to his wife. Absolutely devoted to his wife. And committed to meeting her needs. When Paul says, husbands, you're the head of the home. That's what it means. That I'm absolutely devoted to my wife. And committed to meeting her need to be loved. That's the way I lead. That's the way I'm the head at home. And then wives, here's what he says for you. Uh, that you are the honored helpmate. You're, this is a place of great honor. This is not a place of less than or, or subservient to. This is the honored helpmate. Trusting in God. I'm trusting God to help my husband to submit himself to. I'm trusting in God. Dedicated to her husband. And committed to meeting his need to be respected. Com- committed to meeting his need. Emerson Egridge says, so how, so how do we start that? You know, we haven't done that. How do we start that? Emerson Egridge says, the one in the relationships that sees himself or herself as, as the more spiritually mature starts this process. <laughs> so I say, I'm more spiritual. So I'm going to submit myself to God. To, to Doris. And Doris says, I'm more spiritual, so I'm going to re- be respectful of you. Does that, does that make sense? There is structure. There is order. And I, and I don't think we do family as well when we don't do that. But when we do it wrong, when we don't, miss, when we don't understand it, then, then, then we just blow the whole thing. There's an order. There's a structure. And, and we do better when we do that. But we have to do it in the right way. Is that okay? Well, I thought, I thought we would close this way. I'm going to show you who's boss in my home. Woman, go to the piano. <laughs> Shoot. I was hoping it would work this time. It never has, but I was hoping this time, this time it'll work. Sweetheart, would you go to the piano and play something for us, please? Isn't that much better? <laughs> Pastor Wayne, thank you. I just, you know, uh, I, it begins by submitting ourselves to God. And so I thought maybe we'd take about, about two minutes and let Doris play. Uh, how about, I don't know, trust and obey. Is that okay? Is that a good one? Or you got a better one? I just a song, so two minutes to, to pray this prayer. And, and you can make application to other relationships, but to pray this prayer. Lord, I need to do this. So help me submit myself, first of all, to you right now. And then to that other person in my relationship. Right now, in this moment, would you help me to, to submit myself to that person and to desire to, to, to love them or to respect them? Would, would you do that? Just, all right, sweetheart, play a song
Father, would you help me to surrender myself to you and then to live that out by, by placing my spouse in that place of highest honor. And would you forgive me for those times where I have failed to do that. Help me, Lord, to be vulnerable. Help me to, to do relationship in the character of God. And help me to love, to respect in the structure that you have called us all to. Help us all to do that. In your name we pray. Amen.